Hello and welcome to the Business of Authority. I'm Jonathan Stark. And I'm Rochelle Moulton. And today we're going to talk about marketing productively. Productively. I like that. Let's be productive. Yes. So the, the premise here, the core fundamental premise here is that that is needs to be sort of taken for granted is that if you're running a business, you need to be doing marketing full stop. So if you know, if you're, let's say you're a copywriter or a software developer or uh, a professor or a doctor, and you're starting this side business, you're going to do this thing on the side, or you're going to start freelancing. And, and a, a lot of times the temptation at first, or the, the way it seems to go is that you think mostly about your skills. You think kind of, you still kind of have an employee mentality. You're thinking about your skills. It's almost like a resume type of marketing approach where you just on your LinkedIn and on your website, it's like, I can do this and I can do that. And I can do all these other things. And it's a very, uh, it's an approach that a technician would take. And it's not super uh, easy for people for whom you could help. So in other words, potential clients or potential ideal clients, it's not easy for them to connect the dots between, you know, the fact that you know how to write React Native app and some problem they have in their life. So it's not an obvious solution to some problems that they might have or uh, obstacles that they're facing. So if you don't start connecting those dots for them in your marketing by going out into the world and doing something, and we're going to talk about what today, going out regularly, doing something to market yourself and connect those dots for the people you seek to serve, the audience that you're trying to reach, people you're trying to help, then they're, they're probably not going to get it. It's not going to be obvious to people unless they're already an expert at what you do. And they really just want to hire you as a pair of hands because they don't have, you know, they don't have enough staff. So they need staff augmentation. Is that a, is that a good starting yeah. point? Yeah. And I think I would just add to that. I mean, there's a lot of folks I've met who've been in a, you know, a, a more senior corporate job, like, um, you know, they're maybe director of marketing or an HR director or something like that. And they go out on their own. And sometimes what they think of as marketing is I'm calling everybody I know, and I'm having a lot of coffees and lunches and letting them know what I do. So the work comes Mm -hmm. and that's business development. That's not really marketing. It's still important. But what we're talking about are the things that you can do that are beyond just a one-to-one touch point. Yeah, that's fair. I, I kind of lump everything together, but I do tend to lean toward the the more scalable ones, the the one to many, and less so from the the coffee thing or direct outreach or those sorts of things. But yeah, I, I agree. I think I think the focus is is better for everyone if it's more broadcast and less one to one like that. Yeah, you spend your one to one time with the people who you know are are you've you've pre qualified basically that are really interested in what you're doing or they're aligned with aligned with your idea. Mm-hmm. Okay, so uh, the the impetus for this episode came from a phone call I had with um, with a coaching student who who sort of has drunk the Kool Aid and and understands <laughs> the that. He knows he needs to be doing something, but he's got so much client work and he's got a, you know, a whale client that's tailing off. So he's also trying to, to do proposals for, other, you know, he's got a lot of stuff going on, but it's all very uh, thrashy, you know, where it's, it's all sort of in the moment and feels high stakes and um, a lot of working too many hours, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And, you know, my rule of thumb is, is that you should be doing like 10 or even 20 hours a week of marketing or someone on, on behalf of your business should be doing 10 to 20 hours of marketing per week. It's a very important thing. That's why 
every big company has a CMO or someone like that who does this very important marketing function. It'd be like not having a CFO. Like you need, you need someone right. dealing with this stuff or you just, the odds of you growing are incredibly small. It's just very unlikely. So, okay. So the, the concept was, okay, what should I do? Like, let's say I could find that time, but like, what should I even be doing? And how do I keep up with that when I need to do all this client work? And I feel like I'm already buried. So mm-hmm. that's, that's the idea today. That's the, the, uh, uh, productively approach today. So, <laughs> so I'll, I'll just start off, I guess the, the, to me, there's a million things you could do. There's all these different marketing tactics. You know, you, you just Google literally anything in marketing and there's like a billion books, a billion techniques so growth hacking and all that garbage. And, and I shouldn't say garbage cause it's not that it's not that these tactics don't work, but you know, the idea of executing a bunch of tactics uh, without some kind of strategy is, you know, as Sun Tzu said, the noise before defeat, you know, you're, you're just running around doing tactics with no strategy. So it's kind of like you, you might be doing one thing that's pulling you in one direction. And you're doing another tactic that's pulling you in the other and they're just canceling each other out. So especially for soloists or small firms that don't have a lot of resources to devote outside of their client work, you need to be really strategic about what you decide to do and how you decide to do it. And in, in my just to have like a visual metaphor for the concept. It's like, you've got this little, you know, like little Flint and steel or like a single match. And that's all of the resources that you have to start this fire. You can't just be like flicking sparks at a giant log or a tree and expect it to catch on fire. It's not going to happen. You need like a little bit of fuzz and you need a, you know, some kindling and tinder and you just like get this little spark going. And then once it turns into a small flame, you, you tend to it very carefully at first until the flame gets bigger and bigger and bigger. And that's, to me, that's the, the flame is sort of a metaphor of your idea spreading and the, the fuel is people. So, you find that your most cozy, close group of people first, you give them this idea. If it starts to spread, then you carefully arrange more people around that flame and then the flame will grow and grow and grow. And this, to me, that's like the most effective way for us, you know, somebody who doesn't have a million dollar budget to buy like a Super Bowl ad. Uh, to me, that's the way to, that's the way to effectively market yourself because it's, it's, it takes the least amount of energy because you're getting a lot of help and you can prove that the idea is a good one because if it's not a good one, it's not going to spread at all. Exactly. Exactly. That's how you know you're being productive is when that the, the match is, is lighting. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. And the flame spreads. So there, so this touches on a couple, you know, the metaphor touches on a bunch of concepts that we've talked about in the past. One is uh, your circles concept where you've got sort of three circles of, of, people in your life where you keep a spreadsheet of like people you're really close with people who you know, but you're not super close with, and maybe a bigger group of people who are friends of friends, but are in your space. And the idea of, um, uh, we've also talked about testing things with a tweet. It's a similar concept. It's like, have this idea, test it in the least possible, you know, the least, um, intensive way and see if it spreads at all. And if it does spread at all, people reply, people say, yes, people are like, take my money. Then you're like, Oh, okay. I'm probably onto something here. Um, okay. So I'll, I could go on that all day. I'm getting ready. For, <laughs> I'm getting ready for the ditching hourly workshop. And I'm like this huge camping metaphor. So it's like looming large in my mind, but the idea well, maybe, is start small. Yeah. I was thinking maybe we should start with kind of your headspace. Um, with, with, you know, Jonathan and I have talked about this before. It's this, this mindset shift 
that that happens as you start to really think about this as a business, that your work comes first. And this is, you know, if you've been in consulting for any amount of time, this feels like, what? My work comes first? I have to do client work first. And it's not even about the money. Sometimes it is. But most of the time, it's just about having that client deliverable hanging over your head. But I think being successful at all of this requires a mindset shift. And it happens typically incrementally with a few big leaps where you start to say, oh, I have to take care of my business first, because if I don't, I won't have a business to take care of. Yeah. And you, you know how you know that Rochelle's right about that, dear listener? If you've ever had a feast famine cycle, that is why. That is the reason. Because you get all fat and happy with a whale client or two, and then they leave, and then you're left scrambling because you didn't do anything in the meantime to actually create uh, an audience or a pipeline or any kind of predictable income uh, around whatever it is that you're doing. So if that's ever happened to you, you have this problem. <laughs> that's where that that's where that problem comes from. So yeah. and it goes back to my thing, like any big company that you can think of, especially brands that you love, like brands that you love do marketing like crazy. You know, they do good marketing that doesn't bug you and, you know, meets you where you are. It's relevant. It's expected. And it's and you like it because then it, you're exposed to like new opportunities that whatever, you know, Apple, Starbucks, whoever, whatever, Nike, your favorite brands, whatever they are, they have a CMO. They do marketing. They spend tons of money on it. So it doesn't really need to be something you, you have to be scared of. Just do good marketing. And it needs to be it, it needs to be done. So uh, so the big question is, all right, if I'm if I'm buried in client work and I feel like I need to be every time I'm every minute I'm, or every hour I'm working on marketing, I feel like I'm losing an hour of billable income. So, you know, this, this is a mentality that I come across a lot, which is folks that I work with are still, still cannot unsee the hourly billing thing. It, they, anytime they're not billable, they feel like they're losing money. So like anytime they're not on the clock, they're like, like, Oh, I just lost $200. So, and the marketing that I did got me zero leads. It's like, well, you recorded one podcast episode and didn't even publish it yet. So you know what I mean? Yeah. It's a a long-term venture. It's a long-term thing. So how do you keep at marketing over the long term so that it starts to bear fruit or vegetables? As I like to say, (laughs) the tomatoes start coming up. They don't, it doesn't, you don't plant a tomato seed and like, boom, tomatoes. So what, like literally, Rochelle, what do you do to, yeah, sorry. (laughs) (laughs) Now you're thinking about, you're thinking about tomatoes now. Yeah, I am. I am in basil and, and ensalada caprese. It sounds delicious. Oh, it's um, lunchtime. Yeah, wh- where, where I always come from, I mean, I'm a strategist, of course, so I always start with a strategy. I think you have to have a strategy first. And I think the challenge is a lot of people that are in the scenario you described where they're really busy and they're trying to sort of fit it in, they don't have a strategy. So they try this, they try that, and a lot of times they quit whatever they started before it's had a chance to prove that it's working or prove that it isn't working. So you really have to have a strategy. And by strategy, I mean, you want to know who you're trying to target. What's the idea behind all of it all behind it? And then, you know, ideally you tie that to your business and revenue model. So it's sometimes you're just starting with a very simple idea and you want to see what happens. Other times you're very specific. You have this idea and it's tied to your business model and you have in your head, better yet written down, a strategy that says, I'm going to do, I'm going to focus on this audience. I'm going to focus on this idea. Um, I'm going to light that, that flame 
that match and this is where I want it to go. And once it starts to burn um, and, and starts to increase in intensity, then I'm going to develop this product, this service, um, this, uh, this approach to monetize what I'm working on. So you've got to have that strategy. Without that, you're not, you, if you're successful, it's by sheer luck that you just try a bunch of stuff, throw it against the wall and something sticks. Right. And you, you make a bunch of phone calls to friends and, and like, oh, I went, I told my boss to take this job and shove it. And I, you know, like, you know, anybody that needs rails, to, <laughs> you know, oh yeah, I'll introduce you a few people, but that, that burns out after about a year. So, yeah. Yeah. So a hundred percent. So like you need, so a, a strategy and, and in general, a uh, strategy that I find, you know, for most students, the most effective one that is generally applicable, it it's, I'm trying to, I mean, there probably have been exceptions, but there's so many home runs where they finally agree to get really specific about who their target market is. And Mm -hmm. they they could segment them in a million different ways. It could be psychographic, demographic, vertical, whatever. Uh, But they get really specific about it. And all of a sudden, their marketing becomes way more effective because the language that they can use, that the language that makes sense for them to use becomes incredibly specific they can they can use the words that the people they're trying to connect with use because yes. yeah so like every time you get into a this sort these sort of little little niches there's usually a um a language that has developed in the niche that's that's only under that's that's understood in a different way than maybe a general term like so ex- exact same word is used in a very specific way with this group of people or um, like the classic one is if you're selling to hotels, don't call their guests customers. They call them guests. That's what they're called. It'd be like, it'd be like talking to a doctor about their customers. Doctors don't have customers. They have patients. So if you're speaking in broad general terms on your website about, you know, how to increase, you know, the, uh, customer satisfaction or how to increase like this. And you use this word that's generic and doesn't speak directly to the audience that you maybe didn't pick yet, but like if you did pick a specific audience like doctors, then you're going to talk about patients on the website. You're not going to talk about customers. And there are a million of those. There's, that's just one example. There are a million of them where all of a sudden, if you start using the language of, you know, the watering hole, like the, the, the language that those people use, then all of a sudden they, you're going to immediately seem different than, you know, competitors or alternatives to hiring you for whatever it is that you do. Because they're going to be like, oh, this person understands us. Yeah. And it's the, I sound like Jonathan now. It's the problem, right? It's their big expensive problem and the language. And you put those two together and, and people feel like the heavens opened up. It's like, oh my God, I didn't know there was somebody who did this. I didn't know you existed. That's what you, you want to open the doors to. And until you get really specific, those doors are closed. Right. Yeah. So imagine like a physical therapist who just, you know, on their website says like, I know this technique and I know Reiki and I know this and that and all these other things. And, you know, I take my thumbs and I press them into your back and I work my way down and blah, blah, blah. It's like, oh, okay. But then that same person could, you know, their, their website could be, I help major league pitchers get back in the game after a serious injury, after sidelined with a ser- they're sidelined with a serious injury. And you're using like sports terms in the, in the, 
everywhere in it. And it's a very specific target market. And you could say, and immediately you would have anybody that read that would be like, Oh, I know, you know, I, I do or don't know somebody in that target market. And it's, and maybe it's like, Oh, I don't know any major league pitchers, but I know a kid that pitches on his uh, high school team. Who's having a lot of problems with his arm. Maybe I should connect these. You know what I mean? It's like immediately the di- the difference is enormous. Well, in sidebar, the the immediate visual I had when you said that was ka-ching. Like the first person I'm thinking is like, oh, maybe $100 to get that service or $150. The second one I'm thinking, oh, my God, that's probably like $1,000. But it, immediately I, I it, it aligned with value. I'm like, oh, if I need that, I want that person. I don't want the first one. I don't want to waste my time. Right. I want the second one. Yep. Yeah. Love yeah. it. Yeah. The the physical therapist for major league pitchers, like like the one, because if you get super focused and pick a really, really small pond, you can be the one and only, mm-hmm. like you can be the air quotes world leader in the thing that you do for a space because most people, you know, the vast majority of people will not do that. They will not pick a specific space. And the, the thing that's, the thing that's funny about it is once you pick it, you actually end up getting better than you ever could have imagined because yes. You can get so specific and you get more effective because you're working with very similar types of clients. So you can be like, you can get even better than you already are. You know, I I used to have a chiropractor who would bemoan the fact that people would give him such a hard time about his fees. And, And I said, well, you know, who do you treat? And so we started to talk about it. And it turns out he had this clientele that was more than half of his audience that were world class athletes. In fact, one day I came in and a sprinter who I'd heard of was sitting next to me stretching her legs. I was was like, Oh my God, I'm next to, I won't say the name. I'm next to so-and-so. This is amazing. And he was petrified to focus on that. And I said, this is really easy. These are your people. You speak their language. You know this. They, they literally came to him from across the country and some, if they were in town from across the world. And, and so he had the hardest time narrowing that. But I, I guarantee we all have a specialty in there somewhere. Mm-hmm. You've got to find it. Yeah. It reminds me of that old joke about the barber. Barber, you should double your prices. Double my prices. I'd lose half my clients. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Exactly. So, okay. So kind of summarize what we're talking about so far, just to kind of, you know, because this is like a fun chat, but I want to make sure that it's like helpful. The Having a strategy is super important. Um, probably that strategy is focusing down on a specific target audience and using their language in your marketing. It'll be so much more effective if you do that. Even if you think of it just as a campaign for six months or something to get yourself to do it and get over the hump, like just do it. And then once you do, once you've picked a target market, you've gotten really super specific and you're starting to use their language, let's say on your website and your online bios, maybe in LinkedIn or Twitter, wherever your online personas are. Then what are some things, Rochelle, what are some things that you do after you kind of had that groundwork laid down? What are some things that people can do to start to like activities and tactics that they can use to start to capitalize on that groundwork? So, I mean, to me, with with our audience, it kind of boils down to two things. It's content and distributing that content, Mm -hmm. right? And and you have to do both. 
obviously distribution, you know, if you don't have anything to distribute, mm -mm. but a lot of people will spend all this time on content and craft this stuff so carefully, whether it's, you know, a blog post or an article or a podcast series, but then they don't do the distribution. You have to get it out there. And, you know, you may spend, especially when you first start something as much time distributing or even more as you do creating the content. So think about that for a second. It, it, it can happen that way. So, so in order to, to kind of push this to the next level, I think what you have to do, and you've heard me say this before, is you have to build it into your, your daily or weekly routine. And that's the big shift. Because when you're doing something, you say, oh, I'm going to try this and I'm going to do a six-month push. Well, the six-month push is over. Now what? So you, you've got the results from that and the results should tell you whether there's interest or not and whether you need to you know, make some subtle changes, but then it becomes make it a part of your business you know, on a regular basis. I won't say every day, it depends on what you're doing and how you do it, but, but every day, certainly every week so that it's part of your routine and you can't not do it. That building that little bit of momentum every day, every week is so much easier than coming off a big client project and going, okay, now I've got 60 hours to dedicate to this. And you're going to sound desperate and you're going to get tired of it. And then the second an interesting client project comes along, you'll stop. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It'd, it'd be like doing all of your flossing for the year in one day. Yeah. <laughs> Not only is it painful for everyone involved, it just like doesn't work. It doesn't work. It's yeah. not going to get you the outcome that you want. So obviously I'm going to say daily, daily is, yeah. it's easier than weekly. Like yeah, in many it really ways, is. it's easier. It's easier to, to build the, the important thing here is to build a habit and make it part of your, you know, make it part of your routine, just like flossing, like, or maybe flossing is a bad example. I know it's not, not everybody <laughs> does it every day, but something like that, you know, like where, you know, whatever, brushing your teeth, at least, please at least brush your teeth every day. Like, okay, but do you need to like, you know, it, it needs to be like that. And for me, it's just so I, I blogged weekly in spurts for, you know, three months at a time, six months at a time, then I'd stop for a year. And it was torture every single time. Every single time I wrote one of those, I know this is different for you, but for me, it was like that. Daily was a dream compared to that. Daily is so much easier. It, a lot of the, um, partially, I think a lot of the pressure is off. Like, yeah, if I screw this one up, I'll be another one tomorrow. There was no <laughs> pressure on any particular message. Um, I put right at the bottom, 100% typo guarantee. So, because one of the things I did was I specifically picked emailing, not blogging, because there's no going back and editing it later. So I wanted something. It was like where when I pressed publish, it was too late. Warts and all, there it is. And there have been a few that were super embarrassing, but not that many. And I've sent like a thousand, you know, 1200 of them. And there haven't been that many that were like grossly embarrassing, you know, like, <laughs> wow. You know, like whatever, but you know, that's our new yardstick. We try not to be grossly embarrassing. <laughs> right. And here's the funny thing. Like, I don't think anybody ever met. I almost never get anybody that's just like, like, oh, typo or like, you know, it's never like that. I get, I get tons of email from people that are like perfect timing, solid gold. Thank you for writing this. Um, all of those sorts of things, typos and all. And people, people just like, eh, you know, it's, that's just part of the deal like when he's writing them like crazy. And, and, and the reason why I, um, it's actually relevant to this episode, I 
made a conscious decision not to have like an editing pipeline where it goes to a VA or, you know, some, some thing. And it's like a little bit more, not that that would, I mean, that wouldn't be a bad idea, but for me, it was like, that was just a, just enough extra friction to make it less fun. And it's another excuse to like, let one go because your VA was sick that day or they got behind or they missed something. Yeah. No, I, I hear you. I do the same thing. Yeah. So uh, the point the point of that for you, dear listener, is that it, it doesn't have to be daily emailing, obviously, but you do want to pick something that has the least possible friction for your personality and your current you know skills. So like like I found um, I find podcasting pretty easy, you know, but because of my background, I've been on the mic since I was little doing music and stuff like that. So it just really doesn't bother me. It was not it's not a big deal for me. So okay. So podcasting is a, a major activity in my marketing uh, activities. So it's like podcasting and writing, speaking and writing. And the speaking, um, the speaking type for me is podcasting. The writing type for me is email. But and I think you probably do need a speaking type and a writing type, at least some some mix, maybe not 50-50, but those two things, if you want to be an authority and, and reach people, those two modes are, are pretty, uh, both are not mutually exclusive, but a lot of people like to listen to stuff and a lot of people prefer to read stuff. So you're going to reach more people, I think, in your audience if you use those two types, whether it's whether it's video, audio, whatever, you know, but... And podcasting speaking leads to in-person speaking if that's something that you're interested in doing. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. So so you could imagine, and I, I am pretty sure we've talked about this, and I'm almost 100% sure we've talked in the past about... Um, you can go back and look at like different types of speaking gigs that you could do. We don't need to get into that today. There's all sorts of different kinds of speaking you could do, whether it's free marketing type stuff or where it's paid, you know, internal events or whatever. Um, and there's a million, obviously there's a million writing types of things you could do. You could, you could, you know, blog on LinkedIn or medium or on your own website. And we've got an episode about owning your own platform. So check that out too. But, uh, it's important to be doing these something really low friction, especially when you're getting started out and it's going to feel like, Oh, why am I doing this? Do something that's really low friction is really natural for you and get into that habit. If you can, if you can get yourself to do it for, um, well, here, here's, this has worked for a couple of my students who are, who are very nervous about doing this. So I was like, um, one of them shared this story recently. He said, well, somebody asked him like, how did you, how did you start emailing daily? And he's like, well, I knew I wanted to do it. I knew it would be good. I just didn't think I'd have to be able to keep up with it, which would have been embarrassing. So I sat down and I, in 10 minutes, wrote out 30 ideas, like just basically 30 subject lines or 30 topics. And he's like, well, if I can come up with 30 ideas in 10 minutes and, you know, he he just looked down the list because he's good at what he does. Like he knows what he does and he's good at it. Yeah. So he had all these ideas and he was like, oh, that was pretty easy. And, you know, he just imagined himself filling. He's like, I know what I would write about that one. And that one. Yeah, I could. Yeah, I could bless. Yeah, this is no problem. And and that was about a year ago. And he was just saying to the group the other day, like the it's the number one thing that he's done to just dramatically changed his business dramatically. It's the same for me. Same for other people. You know, Philip Morgan. It, 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 it's amazing what it does for you. Well, and what's what's great about the emailing idea is that the distribution is part of it. It's built in, right? You, you write the thing, you know, and there's there are ways to write it and press the publish button at the same time. Um, so it's built in. Um, in addition to that, I think of, you know, social media as a distribution system. It's also a way to 
engage other people in your content. Email's better. I mean, if you just did one, email's better because you've got that intimacy and you own that that relationship between the two. But what social media can do is it can amplify your message if you do it appropriately for the platform that you're on because you know, Instagram looks different than Twitter, looks different than LinkedIn, looks different from Facebook. And you don't have to be on all those, but you want to start getting in the habit of distributing your content across social media in a way that is efficient and productive for you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I mean, and, no, go ahead. Yeah. The, the one thing I was going to say there is like, it can be, it can feel overwhelming if you're like, I need to be on Twitter and LinkedIn and Instagram and, and TikTok mm-hmm. and whatever the next one is and Snapchat. And I need to be in stories and Facebook and blah, 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 blah. That's too much. And, right. and I don't think you need it. I, I, I seriously, if you're just pick one, pick one. Yeah. yeah if you're going to, yep. And it's probably, and, and it's probably email. Like if you can, if you're just going to pick one, Wait a minute. No, no, no. Email doesn't count as a social channel. Email is its own thing. So I'm saying pick one social. Email. Email's fabulous. I mean, there's nothing as good as email for this. Yeah. Okay. Um, but in terms of social, I'd say pick one. Yep. And and that's, you know, here's another thing with the social is like, I don't, well, I don't think it's that important. <laughs> 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 says you I, I i can directly show revenue against like i if if you asked me to do it it would probably take me 10 minutes but i could go through my revenue and tell you which things came from twitter and the wow. number would blow your mind okay fair enough so I, yeah you just yeah. you have to pick the right one for you and you have to work it in a way that aligns with your business and revenue model it's not a slam dunk okay okay that that's totally fair yeah, yeah. I, if I went down that list, I'm I would be hard pressed to find a single sale I got from Twitter. Yeah, I'm, so so maybe that's not maybe for you. It's just a place to uh, to distribute the the various podcasts that you do and these ideas, and people take them and run with them, or they don't, and and you're happy that that they're going to take them. Yeah, it's fine. Yeah, yeah. So you might decide, okay, well, that's worth it for me to do that because it doesn't take that much work, and it's, I'm just you're distributing. Yeah, zero work. Yeah. yeah versus someone who says, all right, I'm going to put some time into this and I want to find people that should be my people. And they're going to go out and look for those people and they're going to follow them and they're going to start to engage in conversation. And I can almost hear people's eyes roll because if that's not your style, then don't do that. Yeah. Right. I'm not saying, yeah, it's got to fit with your style and, you know, LinkedIn might be better for you. Mm hmm. Right. And I think, I think if I was going to, I actually like Twitter better, but I think LinkedIn would be more effective for me to, to engage on. But the fact is I engage with my list. I don't engage with hardly anybody on Twitter or LinkedIn and, and I just use them as, as broadcast channels. So like yeah. I yeah. create podcast episodes and email and all these like articles, and then they just get sucked into this, this at meet Edgar thing that just distributes them out for me. Like literally mm-hmm. like it's like 50 bucks a month to automatically, you know, spam the internet with links to my, <laughs> you know, and I, I engage a little bit on Twitter and a little bit on LinkedIn, but, um, I'd really rather be writing emails, better emails. So to me, yeah. the, the community is really the email, but to your point, you know, somebody like, uh, her name was Madeline Sklar, I think, right. Early, very yeah. early guest yeah. who's super active on Twitter and, and really uses it you know, uses hashtags to create, you know, kind of like pop-up communities. That's a totally different game. Like that's not something I've ever done. Yeah. She's a Twitter goddess. 
And but she's also she's a natural engager. She can't not pull people together and get them talking about things that they're interested in. So so that fits for her personality and her business model and her area of expertise, which is building communities. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it just has to it has to match. It has to match up with you. And and Jonathan, I, I'm not criticizing your system at all. It works fabulously for you. But if you're just starting, you may go, well, I don't have an email list. How am I going to get people on that list? And that's social media can come in really handy because you've got a way to pinpoint your people and you can do some things to to invite them into your list that aren't spammy um, it can be as simple as is sharing a post on linkedin or sharing an idea in a group and people get intrigued by that they check out your site and you grow your list it's organic yep. it's not fast i don't want to <laughs> prime that pump and say oh it's really quick it can be if your idea really takes off but more likely it's going to organically grow a person two people, five people. And and you may wind up with a list of a few hundred people um, in a year after you started with zero. Mm-hmm. And that may sound like, well, that's not very many. What about these people with 400,000? Yeah. doesn't matter. If it's right for your idea, your business model, you can make a lot of money on a 300 or 400 person list and still do what you enjoy. So it's got to really fit your style, your idea the way that you make money in your business or the way you want to. Right. Okay. So let's talk, let's talk about social media specifically, like uh, a little bit more broadly for a second, because if we're talking about marketing, probably a lot of people are thinking social and, and I think social media is incredibly useful for marketing. The, the thing that makes me a little bit uh, scared about it is if you're trying to, if we're talking about creating a habit, especially I want you to have a daily habit. I really do. I really want everybody to have a daily habit around marketing their business so that, uh, whatever, so that, you know, their teeth don't fall out just like if you didn't floss. So the, the, but the, the thing that scares me a little bit about social media is like, it can feel like you're doing something when you're really not. It's it, you know, Mm -hmm. all the platforms are engineered to suck you in and waste your time. So it's a, so a couple of things I would say, um, if, if you do think that, that social media is going to be your, um, your, your daily habit, then I would be, man, one of the things I would recommend is to not have it installed on your phone. And that's coming from me who like lives by their phone, but I, I wouldn't, I would have it on your computer only and it's a work thing. So you're not, cause it's just too easy. Maybe it's just me and I'm like undisciplined on social media, but it's just too easy to end up spending 45 minutes down a YouTube rabbit hole. When I go, you know, go in to answer comments on my YouTube channel and like, you know, like two hours later, I blink my eyes. I'm like, what time is it? You're watching cat videos. I know it, Jonathan. You know it. No, it's mostly martial arts competitions. <laughs> but yeah, it's like it's it, it scares me a little bit. Uh, the other another thing. So I would say, you know, like, don't do it. Don't think you're going to do it on your phone. Make it a work thing. Like you were writing an email. Probably you would do it on your computer or writing a blog post. Probably you would do it at your desk on your computer. Um, and this is just, just my advice. I don't, you know, maybe you disagree Rochelle, but that's one thing. Another thing is to make sure you know, there's so many activities you can do on social media. I would make sure that, oh God, I feel like every piece of advice I'm going to give about social media is don't do it. <laughs> <laughs> it's so, I just feel like it's such a landmine. Okay. So, you, so you talk about social media. How do you do social media without getting your life sucked away? 
Well, first of all, I, I do it a little bit differently than what you just described. I do have it on my phone. And my rationale with that is if I want to open it up, I have all the notifications shut off, so it's not popping me with things. But if I'm out and about and, you know, sitting in the dentist's office like I did last week for a half an hour waiting for them to see me, guess what? I hopped on Twitter and, and did some things with that. And I played around with Instagram a little bit. But what I do for me is I only go in at certain times. I actually never go into social media in the morning because I don't want that stuff in my head. I just don't, and especially in Twitter, it's hard not to see whatever's trending. And sometimes like, it just makes me mad, whatever's trending. I'm like, that's not a useful, productive thing for me to do. So I will tend to do social media at the end of my day when I've done everything else. And, and I'll also add to that is that I, no surprise, I pre-plan and pre-schedule a lot of my social media stuff. And it's all, when I say automated, I hand it off to my VA to do. And it, it goes through an, an automated system. We use Buffer generally. And um, so, so a lot of that is taken out of my hands. So if, if there's a day that I don't go on to Twitter, and there are days that are just kind of crazy, I don't do it, you know, nothing bad happens, right? I go in the next day and do that. So I look at it as it's a not a rabbit hole. Facebook is a rabbit hole for me, so I pretty much avoid that. Um, it's, not a, it's not a rabbit hole. It is something that I look at with a very specific goal. So I like in Twitter, I'll go and look at notifications, what's happening. And I, I love the way they do the stream now because I can see the people that I'm closest to. I can see what they've been tweeting. So if there's something I want to retweet or talk about, I can. It's very focused. Same thing with LinkedIn. I mean, with LinkedIn, it's I manage groups on LinkedIn. So I'm checking in on those groups to see what's going on. Um, there isn't drama. I don't do drama groups. I'm not interested in drama. Um, so it's it's about business and relationships. So it's very, I, I think I draw a lot of barriers around them. Like I said, the exception for me is Facebook because there's always stuff going on in there. And I, I generally don't look at it except on the weekends. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So we both see all of the same things. It's just we, we have different ways of dealing with it. Yeah. Yeah, and, and, and I think that the good thing about that for the listeners is you've got a lot of options. I mean, Jonathan and I feel like we're not quite at opposite ends of the spectrum, but maybe halfway apart. And then if you took someone like a Madeline Sklar who's in there constantly engaging in, in communities, you know, she's on the other end, the far end of the spectrum. It just depends on what it is you want to do. And to remember that social media is not an excuse for doing your work. You still have to write interesting content. You have to distribute that content. On some level, you have to engage with at least a small group of people in your field that are going to help you and vice versa to spread the message so it's it's having the focus on that and you know and in, enjoy watching the cat videos you know in your spare time but that's not that's not part of the part of the mix but the other piece about this is and let's not forget this is social media can be so addictive and that's sort of the the behavior you're describing is like, oh i'm just gonna take one look at this karate video boom um so so I think we have to set ourselves up for success with it. So if somebody has a tendency to kind of go into the rabbit hole, then you set it up so you can't. Yeah, that's that's a great way to put it, because that matches what I was with the specifics I was going to give or the way that I specifically do that. So that's really what it boils down to is like f be self-aware enough to know when you're wasting time and when you're not wasting time. And if you can't control the time wasting thing, then delete that 
delete it, get rid of that thing because that is like Instagram. If I open Instagram, it's 45 minutes gone. I love Instagram. It is. I love looking at the images. I just, it's so freaking beautiful, but I can't look at it during the workday. It it would suck me in and become my rabbit hole. So I I don't go there. Right. But it's, yeah, I, I love it. I, the same reason you love it is why I hate it. So, <laughs> so, I, so yeah. the point the point is so that with that sort of that sort of detour into social media land, I know is a it's just a a, a minefield for people because they think like either they'll think like I hate social media, I, you know, but I have to do it because they said on TBOA that we have to do marketing. Well, you don't have to do it there. Um, if if you if it's a giant time waster for you, then just stay away from it. If you if you're amazing at it and you just like a fish in water, then great, then do it. But the big picture, you know, to pull everything back to the big picture and staying productive with your marketing is like have a strategy, have please a daily habit, at least a weekly habit where you are um, writing or creating content and distributing the content in a way that's as low friction as possible for you and at least amount of time wasted where you can just get into this, um, get in, like, I want you to get into a rut with it. So like ruts. So here's a funny little side story. I think a rut people is generally considered a bad thing. Oh, I'm in a rut. I'm stuck in a rut. And it's like, the problem isn't the rut. The problem is being stuck. So the rut is actually a good thing because it shows that work is being done. It shows that consistency is, you know, you've been showing up, you're doing the work, you're not jumping all over the place. A rut is actually a good sign. The problem with ruts is when you get stuck in it and you can't get out of it, but that's a different, different story. Mm-hmm. So once you get into this routine, I wonder if those words are related, rut and routine. And once you get into that, there's this story that I, I think it was an interview with, um, who's the, who's the lead actor in Casablanca? Uh, Humphrey Bogart. Humphrey Bogart. Okay. So it was an interview with Humphrey Bogart and they were asking him, you know, did you know you made this masterpiece when you made it? And he's like, no way. We were cranking out. He said something incredible. Like we were cranking out a movie a week for six months. And wow. in retros, I mean, I'm probably exaggerating, but it was like a mind boggling number. They were like going from set to set to set to set, learning lines on the fly and just like cranking it out. And I know that feeling. I know that feeling when you're just head, like you make a decision first about where you want to go. And then you say, okay, here's my plan. I'll correct as I go, um, but I'm mostly going to be heads down executing the plan. And it's a daily thing that goes for six months. And then you pick up your head and you look back and you're like, wow, wow. I mean, like, (laughs) how did I do that? (laughs) How did I do that? It didn't feel like work. It just felt like normal. And the thing is, like, you might have, you know, for me, it's email. I look back and there'll be like, yeah, I had a couple of, couple of like, you know, bad typos, or I sent one out before, you know, I, I pressed send before I really fleshed out the theory. And after I sent it, I was like, you know, I should have ended it differently. Okay, fine. But then I'll have like, in, in the course of, I don't know, six months, I'll have six like, like home runs. And I never would have written those six home run messages if I just wrote six. Yes. You know what I mean? Yeah. I probably wouldn't even have one. Yeah. So when you're, when your head's down, with a plan, not going in circles, but when you're heads down with a plan where you're going to do this, you know, there'll be some corrections along the way. Probably, you know, you look up a little bit and say like, Oh, am I on track? Yep. Okay. Keep going, keep going, keep going. But it's amazing how fast you have this like significant body of work that if you've 
done the strategy part up front, made decisions about who you're trying to reach and what you're trying to do, what your objective is, what your big idea is, all of this material that you create is going to hang together. It's going to be this big yes. body of work. And it's, it's massive. It's, it's like surprising how fast it adds up. Well, and you can leverage those things. I mean, in your example, if you've got, you know, six, which is really good for six months, if you think about it, like six really game changing pieces of content, then you can leverage those into different things. You could leverage one into a podcast series or a video series or the start of a book or a speech or a new service line. Um, there's all kinds of things you can do with that. And in the key is that just because you've done something already, doesn't mean you can't use that again in some way. So it's, it's it, really being productive when you're doing marketing, a lot of it has to do with leverage. And, and the more, you know, Jonathan's point is the more that you write or create, the more choices you're going to have, the more gems you'll have. It's totally true. And then as you create those gems, how can you leverage them? Because your work should get easier as you go. And I don't mean that it takes less time, but that it flows more naturally because you have this strategy and you've started to see what works and what doesn't work. Mm -hmm. Yeah. hundred percent. You can, I can look back over, um, yeah, a couple, every once in a while I'll do with this email and get a ton of response. Like, oh, I should turn, turn this into a course. Like, just like you, yeah. exactly like you said, <laughs> yep. like, oh, this specific thing, like, wow, it's kind of a little bit tangential, but it does relate to the central theme and like, huh. It's, and it's like, a, it's like you're drilling down into this mine and there's like, oh, what's that over there? And you're like, dig a little bit. Oh, there's a bunch of gold over here. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> let's dig over to the side a little bit. And exactly, you know, and it's all, but the big picture is that it's all in service of assisting this particular audience. And I, I personally bring to it, and I think this is a critical distinction. I come to it in the spirit of generosity and like I, I'm on this mission to rid the world of hourly, hourly billing. And so the way that the, you know, writing about it every day is like one of the things that I think is going to make it happen. So that's one of the things I do. And there's, you know, I'm aware of the fact that that's going to draw people to my products and services and stuff. But each email is not, about that. It's not about that at all. It's all about turning the light bulb on for the type of person who's probably going to read it and mm -hmm. turn that light, turn on as many light bulbs as possible. Like that's the goal. Yes. And yeah. Cool. So I, if you, I, I can't add anything to that. That's <laughs> perfect. Yeah. I think, I don't know. I think this is from Seth Godin, which is a interesting name to bring up, but uh, uh, he has a line where he's like, if you, if you don't like the idea of marketing, Stop thinking about it like stop thinking about your uh, customers as customers and start thinking of them as students and just teach them. So instead of marketing, don't think of it as marketing because I don't think of my email as marketing. I think of it as like teaching or or trying to illuminate the, the sort of dark room. You know, like mm -hmm. uh, think of it as like it, so. If you're like we didn't even talk about like well, what if you hate the idea of marketing? But um, but if you do, then, then go get a job. Yeah, well, there's that. <laughs> Yeah, because your business is not going to last. Yeah, but if you, it, but but the thing is, Mark, people don't really hate marketing. They hate bad marketing. Good marketing is invisible. Good marketing is educational. It's relevant. It's desirable. Mm -hmm. Good marketing is amazing. So you know, don't be a bad marketer. Be a good marketer. If you're afraid you're going to be a bad marketer, you almost surely won't be. So if you think of it like educating a particular audience, 
you know, actually that's funny. That's funny to think about. Like if you were going to teach a course, you'd know a lot about like who was going to be in the class. It's the same way with marketing. You can be way more effective the more you know about the people sitting in the audience. So if you back to the beginning, if you, if you start off with a strategy of focusing way down on a particular segment of the population, then you can educate them more easily, AKA market to them or market with them more easily. Um, any other tips for sticking with it, uh, keeping up the, keeping up the routine? I mean, you know, if, if it helps, you can, you can have a little, little counter of, of some sort on your phone or on a piece of paper on your desk, you know, and, and there's five days in a week. And, you know, when you, when you're done on Friday, you, you cross the other four off and you can say, I did that today. Um, I think, you know, I know for me, it, the key is to just have it be part of your headspace. It's you have to get to the point where you can't imagine not doing it. And then when you have a day that gets away from you, you know, the only thing you might do, it might be as simple as you're jotting an idea for the next day. It's just never letting that go in your headspace. And that is the difference between owning your business and being an employee is that there's always I expect there will be always a part of your head that is aligned to what's next. Where's my, sort of, where's my next meal coming from? Where's my next project? Where's my next client? Or ideally, once you get past that worrying about you know paying the mortgage or the rent, it's really about what am I going to teach my people today? What do they need to learn? I mean, that's really, that's the ultimate headspace. But until you get there, it's just about making sure you do some of this every day and you don't let go of the need for it no matter what happens with your client work Mm -hmm. yeah the streak thing works for me really well Uh, so that is especially if you're doing a daily thing the streak thing really works well for me Uh, another thing that works well which we've done is to have an appointment with somebody else yes and if you do that you know it works for my personal trainer too like i could just go to the gym by myself but i don't and the reason I go because, you know, the reason I go see Adam twice a week is because we have an appointment and it's like accountability and it's like, it's actually more of a pain in the buns to reschedule it or cancel than mm-hmm. it is to just show up, like just put on your sneakers and go downstairs. It's in the same building for crying out loud. So it's just, um, having an appointment. So maybe you do like a, you know, a podcast co-host type of thing, or maybe you've got some sort of accountability partner. Uh, maybe it's a mastermind with a scheduled weekly thing, but it's something that is um, where another person is going. You're going to have to cancel on another person for you to skip it. Or it's it's in your calendar. That doesn't work for me. Oh, yeah. That's how I do my, my blog, my long blog posts. I mm-hmm. have an appointment with myself. That can, That works for a lot of people. It doesn't work for me, but. Gotcha. I just move it. <laughs> it just doesn't work for me. But there's this, there's a psychological level of commitment, like with Jonathan and, and, and me, if I'm, if I have to cancel, there is like a huge guilt thing. So I I don't cancel. I mean, it's gotta be an emergency of some sort. And sometimes an emergency can be, there's a guy with a lawnmower underneath my door (laughs) and we can't hear, but, and, and vice versa. It's you. So the more commitment systems you can build, the easier it is. Cause you, you won't want to let people down. Mm -hmm. Right. 
and that was that feeds into my last sort of tip, which is to make a public commitment. So whether that even means telling your spouse that I'm going to do this every day. So like, so you've, you made some decision, you're going to do this thing. Maybe you talk about it on, maybe you announce it on Twitter or on your blog or somewhere um, to your mastermind, to somebody make this public commitment, which is, which feels, can feel scary if you're the kind of person who doesn't like, you know, uh, going back on a promise, even if it was to the, to the, the ether, you know, the ether, um, if you make that public commitment, it's, it, I, I think it has a, it seems to be, I mean, it seems to be true with like everything from quitting smoking to like, you name it, that if you make a public commitment, it gives you more, um, more of that guilt feeling if you're going to blow it. So it's similar to the, similar to like having a, a co-host, for example, or an accountability partner, but it's a little bit more broad. It's like, you're saying to the world, I'm going to do this thing. Right. Right. Yeah, I just realized that I guess an app wouldn't work for you either, Jonathan. I use an app to track my my exercise. And um, it now tells me in the morning, it's like, hello, it's time to put in your exercise for today. (laughs) (laughs) So, you know, sometimes that can work too. Yeah, I, I do have an app on my phone that like I keep track of my streaks in, but it doesn't, it doesn't notify me I just always like I always I have to like check this app like I check it 10 times a day like what what do I have left to do okay, uh, okay. it's just not scheduled like my scheduling with me is not it's not my strong suit <laughs> it doesn't well it's it's kind of if you schedule it it won't get done is almost it's almost definite yeah. yeah yeah well then that's the point though is you figured out a system that works for you you know for me if it's not on my schedule it, the chances are it won't get done mm-hmm there's also, I just want to recommend this book. I think it would be really helpful. It's, it's, um, it's called uh, When, W-H-E-N. It's Dan Pink's book. And after I read that, I totally changed what I did in which parts of the day. And it absolutely increased my productivity. So I used to always write in the morning thinking, you know, I'm fresh. It's the best part of my brain. Wrong. For the way that, that my body clock is wired, the afternoon is actually best because the morning is all about details. So if I'm trying to be creative and conceptual, I need to do it in the afternoon. If I want to do research for that writing, I need to do it in the morning. And it will vary for you based on on body clocks. But the book was amazing. I swear my productivity notched up at least at least 20 to 30% after I started trying some of the tactics in his book. Mm. Yeah, that's on my list for sure. I know my, my creative time is definitely midnight to four. <laughs> like no doubt like I can that is my sweet spot for sure which is has its own problems but vampire <laughs> I am a vampire uh, another book since we're talking about books we could probably wrap up on this is uh, Atomic Habits by James Clear our yes our guest James Clear you can go back and check out that episode uh, but his book is excellent his stuff is excellent his newsletter is excellent he really knows what he's talking about it's all backed up with scientific studies um, it's it totally he's the one that got me onto the streak thing it completely works for me mm-hmm. yeah he has a whole bunch of great tips for um, so a little bit about breaking bad habits but it's mostly about creating new good habits to replace old habits that aren't super productive and he's got all kinds of little tricks that uh, different tricks that will work for different types of people like stacking habits and you know like like if you if you whatever if you want to learn to start flossing more then you just like do it after you know like have it, you tie it with something that you already do that day uh anyway so anyway but uh it's a good book yeah i'm dying to to read when as well we should see if we can get dan pink on the show Talk about <gasps> when we could do that <laughs> 
Cool. All right. Well, that's probably enough out of us. Um, yes. So that's it for this week. I'm Jonathan Stark. And I'm Rochelle Moulton. And we hope you join us again next time for The Business of Authority. Bye. Bye-bye. Uh, speaking of next time, this is episode 99. You know what that means. <laughs> <gasps> the next one must be 100. Very good. And could we possibly have a special guest for episode 100? Yes, dear listener. Uh, Mr. Seth Godin is going to be joining us for episode 100. Yay! Couldn't be more excited about it. And in fact, uh, so we've already had the interview, but it's not out yet uh, if you're listening to this in real time. And it is amazing. It, he completely uh, blew our minds. Unbelievable. Yeah. And I mean, I've been following Seth for four years at least. Uh, I've been reading his daily email and I was like, still was like, wow, you know, because we, we asked him questions that are relevant to this particular show. He's been on a million podcasts, talked about marketing for 20 years, at least. I mean, permission marketing came out 20 years ago. Um, and still he talked about some things that I don't think he's ever, I've certainly never heard him talk about in a particular way. Yes. And it's the energy from what he has to say was palpable. And there's some very specific advice. I, I, I just, I don't want to give it away. I want you to hear him say it. But he, he was so generous thinking about freelancers, consultants on the road to authority. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's really, really good. Yeah. Couldn't be more pleased. Tune in. <laughs>